From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Hello and welcome to another fine episode of the Automotive ADHD Podcast. I am Matt West, going to be hanging out with you for the next half hour to talk about all sorts of fantastic things, automotive in nature. I'm going to be talking about a 400,000 mile NSX, a $24 million license plate, also an S2000 that might be a Volkswagen Beetle. Or it could be an S2000. It's pretty cool. And then finally, going to be talking about gas prices, why they are going up, uh, and especially how they're going up, the, the reasoning behind it. Uh, and then, of course, what we as car enthusiasts can do about it. You really want to stick around for that. That's going to be in the last segment of the show. Now, before we get into any of that, I want to share a quick little story that happened to me about a week ago. I was uh, cruising with some friends on the weekend in my 86, and um, it, 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 something peculiar happened to me. So I'm just driving along the road, and then I suddenly hear this this big thud, boom, right on the body, uh, the bottom of the car. I'm like, what did I just run over? Did I hit a brick or something? And I look over at my buddy who's riding shotgun with me and I was like, well, what the hell was that? So we pull over and, uh, the dude behind me was just laughing. It just completely. He's like, dude, there were so many sparks. I was like, well, what the hell fell off my car? And uh, I start looking around. I don't see anything. I'm poking around. I get back in the car to start it. Nothing. Not even a click, not even the slightest little inkling of life. And I'm like, I, I just hear, well, I, I hear the relay clicking for the starter, but it's like no starter engagement. So I, I go back, look under the hood and the, the starter on the A86 is kind of underneath the, um, the exhaust manifold. It's a little harder to see when you're looking down at it. And, um, and so I, I finally spot the front cover of the starter that houses the starter solenoid um, that was missing. I was like, oh no. So I get my flashlight, I look in there, and um, the whole starter solenoid is gone. Completely <laughs> fell out. Not a trace to be seen of it. Presumably that was the loud bang I heard on the bottom of um, of the car. And uh, so ultimately we ended up push starting the car. I drive it home. I get a new starter motor. A end of story. But it's just something that happens to this car. So I've got a, a 20 valve 4AGE swapped into it. And that motor, it's a little higher RPM. And it just vibrates every single bolt loose. It's not the first time this has happened. Uh, no bolt is sacred. No bolt can be spared by the, the vibration of that engine. I mean, I've had valve cover bolts uh, vibrate out. I've had timing cover bolts vibrate out. I've actually replaced those since they're not structural. I've just replaced the timing cover bolts with zip ties. And well, guess what? Those don't vibrate out anymore. Um, and it, it, am I just bad at torquing things down? I don't think so. I'm pretty well torquing everything. So I guess lesson learned here with an old Japanese car, uh, Loctite, especially a high revving four cylinder, Loctite everything. I just need to go purchase like a 10 gallon bucket of Loctite and uh, then I should I should probably be set. So of course, if you would like to contribute to my 10 gallon bucket of Loctite, uh, you can do that on the Patreon. I already have three subscribers on there and I want to thank each and every one of them. If you're interested, get over there, see what's going on. Lots of good stuff there. Now, the uh, first thing I want to get into is that 400,000 mile NSX. Now, I love it when I see sports cars that have a ton of miles, tons of them, because that means the person driving them uh, just can't get enough of that car. They just love driving it 
I mean, look, I love driving. I'm, I consider myself a driving enthusiast over a car enthusiast. The cars are merely a means to the end, which is driving. Now, this guy's name uh, is uh, Sean, simply goes by Sean, and this comes from uh, Lewin Day of The Drive. Uh, and he bought, so Sean bought a first-generation Acura NSX, you know, the one with the pop-up headlights, really good. Uh, and by the way, Sean goes by uh, Lone Wolf Drifter on Instagram. And it's the car is his daily driver, original motor. He bought it with about 70,000 miles a little over 10 years ago. And in that time, he has put 400,000 miles. Well, you want to get technical, 330 some thousand miles. But yeah, tons of miles on that car. And again, the dude says, yeah, it's my only car. It's my daily rain or shine. I drive it end of story. It's a driver's car. And I love that because I mean, so many cars um, and high performance cars, great performing cars uh, are just relegated to sitting in garages for most of the year. Just, you know, waiting for that one day of perfect weather that might not actually happen. And uh, no, I, I love it when I see people do this. Now, the car's been meticulously maintained. Uh, he's had the folks of um, uh, at Science of Speed maintain it, which they're a uh, very popular uh, tuning shop, especially kind of in the Honda realm. I've seen them a lot uh, with like S2000 parts, superchargers, uh, things like that. So no, very good shop. But the car's been meticulously maintained, driven a ton. And he said he's on his way now to 500 thousand miles yeah half a million or bust in an nsx with the original motor i think that's fantastic like you cannot get better than that and you know this brings me to a point of saying that when we look at cars and we look at mileage i think mileage is a flawed metric it's ridiculous to be honest because you can have a low mileage car say a seventy thousand mile car that's been beat to hell it has not been maintained the oil has not been changed regularly uh and it's going to be a pile of garbage it, it just is and uh you compare that to um a car with say two hundred thousand miles where every one of those miles has been loving the owner has been you know maintaining it keeping up on everything fixing things when they break fixing things correctly when they break um I would have the 200,000 mile car over the 70,000 mile car. And, and that's just how it is. Now, I get it. For for daily drivers, um, mileage is important. If you're going and buying a, a Honda Civic at the dealership, you're buying a used one or a, a CPO one, a certified pre-owned one. Uh, yeah, mileage is important because on a, on, a, on a daily average car uh, that's generally been maintained, mileage will give you a rough estimation of the condition of that car. But when it comes to other cars and, and sports cars and things like that and things that cars that people care for, you know, these are going to be heirloom cars. They're going to be around for a very, very long time, perhaps even outliving their owners, um, which many cars have done that now. And uh, and that's one of those things where you can't you can't factor mileage into how you value a car like that. Um, and, and especially if it's been maintained and, you know, the uh, you know, maybe it's had a motor rebuild done. Uh, a uh, car comes to mind. Uh, it was a Volvo, what, P1800. Um, and I mean, the, the guy who had it put like millions actually of miles on it, like tons of miles. But it was it was maintained perfectly. You know what? People are like, well, maybe the suspension's going to wear out. The bushing's going to wear out. Well, OK, replace those and keep driving, you know. Uh, so whenever I see that, I don't know, it just makes me excited because I love driving and seeing that too. That's another dude who's even more serious about driving than I am because I have not put 400,000 miles on a car, on any single car. 
Um, so, you know, and, and even better that it's an NSX. And I know some of the guys on like the NSX forums are going to be all butthurt. Oh, you're ruining the car. Oh, no. Well, well, it's, it's not their car. And also, you know, if you bought the car to drive it, then there you go. And then the, the, the counter argument there is, well, you're ruining an investment. Well, to that effect, I would argue that cars shouldn't be investment still. They, they really shouldn't. Like, it's nice when you get a car, you can drive it, you can enjoy it, and then you can sell it and not lose any money because it has gone up in value. That is a nice side effect of that. But buying a car purely for the sake of um, making money on it is just ridiculous. That defeats the whole purpose of the car. You might as well go buy stocks. Tesla stock right now, by the way, doing really, really good. Uh, you know, so, you know, if you want investment, go buy an investment. If you want a car to drive it, go buy a car. It's just, <laughs> hey, you spend, you spend the money on it, you might as well use it. Now, speaking of spending money, I want, I want to transition into this, the $24 million license plate. Yeah. <laughs> how much money, how much money would you spend on a license plate? Because I can tell you, I wouldn't spend $24,000 or 20, sorry, two, $24 million. I had to get those numbers straight. 24 million. I, I still wouldn't even spend 24,000 on a license plate. But the whole notion, $24.3 million, it's a uh, California plate that is going up for auction. Uh, and uh, it simply reads MM, two M's. Uh, and it is, I guess, a one out of 35 two-letter license plate in California. Um, and it, it's right now the auctions, yeah, $24.3 million. But wait, 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 that's, there's more. There is more in addition to the license plate. You get the physical license plate. Uh, and in California, you can transfer license plates car to car, owner to owner. Uh, so it can actually be used on the car. Uh, and you can register a car to it. But so you get the plate. And then you get an NFT. <laughs> a non-fungible token. I'm sure uh, if you're not familiar with those, you've at least heard of them. That is basically a unique digital image or a, a digital file of the license plate that has a unique code on it that is backed by um, uh, cryptocurrency or something. It's got a unique code on it that identifies it. This is the only version of this file. There are no other copies. They do not exist that way. And um, so you get the license plate and you get an NFT version of the plate and of course you get a little qr code on the back of your license plate because you know when you want to show people at a car show look at my nft i can scan the qr code on the back of the plate you got to take the plate off and then show them the nft i i don't know the whole thing is a bit ridiculous to me honestly uh it, it is uh because for one it's 24 million dollars for a license plate like sure it's a rare license plate but does that 24 million bring any value to the actual car itself i don't think so. No, no, obviously not. It's a license plate. Now, maybe if you're the, the rapper Eminem, uh, you would want two M's on it, even though his name's not spelled with two M's, it's E-M, whatever. Maybe you would want that. Maybe if that was your, your thing, or maybe you just like M&M's, the candy, you could also get this license plate. But I don't know. It just takes some kids mulling around in a parking lot with a screwdriver to uh, steal that license plate too, which is also terrifying. Someone could nick that plate and it was 24 million. I don't care if you've got nice security bolts holding that license plate on. If, you know, this makes national headlines, license plate MM worth 24 million. You go anywhere and someone's going to be trying to steal that, that license plate. So is it worth the headache? I would say no. Is it worth 24 million? I would also say no. But you know what? If this sort of thing suits your fancy. If you really got to have that plate, if you're dying to have that license plate, then uh, feel free to go bid on it. You could 
own it, by the way. So if that's something you really want to do, I'm, hey, I'm not going to make any judgments. Whoever buys that obviously is also going to have um, probably copious amounts of money. Uh, and 24 million will be a small dent, very small dent. Um, <laughs> then again, are there many other cars you could buy that would cost actually more than that license plate? Uh, newer cars? I would say no. I mean, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to even go buy a Bugatti or something that would uh, total up to that price. Um, and you can only put the plate on one car at a time. But eh. anyway, anyway, go bid on it or don't. Up to you. Up to you. Now, hey, coming up in the next segment of the show, I want to talk about a S2000. That's not an S2000. It's more like a Volkswagen Beetle. But it does have the heart of an S2000 and the suspension and the frame. But it's... Still a beetle. Trust me on that. I'll talk about that here after the break. And now for how things work with an engineer. Engines. Speed. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. Oh yeah, and we are rocking it for the second segment of this show. By the way, hear those car sounds? That poll was courtesy of Ilya Malin, and I want to thank you for sending your car sound into the show. How cool is that? Now, of course, if you want your car to also be on the show, film a video of your car doing a poll or a, a rev, whatever, uh, and just, you know, don't don't get arrested doing it. That's not on me. But film that and then email it to me at matt at throttlewarrior.com. Your car could be on the show next so you got to do that now before we get to the um the next topic uh the cool s2000 volkswagen beetle thing uh i i saw this interesting study that says the average person will drive nine days um with a check engine light on before actually getting that check engine light even checked out putting a code scanner on it taking it to a shop nine whole days which honestly is not bad i've driven years with the check engine light on um, I have cars that don't even have functional check engine lights, and you know what? Hey, uh, the uh, <laughs> ignorance is bliss, right? Uh, that said, uh, the same study also found that people really don't care all that much for maintaining their cars. So we're talking the average driver here. And, and you know, we knew this already. As car people, we know how non-car people treat their cars sometimes. It's a little painful. Because uh, that study found that 17% uh, of people say they don't know how to change their own oil, and that on average, they go 7,000 miles between oil changes. Whether or not their uh, recommended oil change interval is 7,000 miles, a lot of times it's 5,000 if it's synthetic oil. Uh, some newer cars, the tolerances and the oil that are used, um, that is used, uh, is, uh, is really good. And some cars now have a 10,000 mile oil change interval, but I have a feeling the ones going 7,000 are, are going over. You know, they're going over quite a bit. Uh, also, one in 10 people uh, say they can't change a tire at all. One in 10 can't change a tire. I mean, look, I get it. Cars aren't everybody's cup of tea. That's okay. But if you operate a vehicle, you should at least know how to get yourself out of a bad scenario of having a blowout uh, or something like that on the side of the road and not call for help because the longer you spend on that side of that road on a busy interstate, uh, the more risk you honestly put yourself in. Um, so yeah, learn, learn to change those tires. Uh, also, speaking of tires, uh, a good number of people also say uh, that they drive with the incorrect tire pressure, like 26% of people, which I actually would have figured that would have been a little higher. 
Um, you know, I mean, look, tire pressure is an important thing. Um, I've seen tires completely explode on the highway because of low tire pressure, not that high tire pressure. No, it's it's not overfilling your tires that's making them explode. I mean, that, that can happen too, but uh, more often than not, it's having too low of tire pressure that tires, you know, uh, inflating or it's um, deforming out wider. Obviously, the contact patch gets wider as that tire pressure goes down, creates more friction on the highway, and uh, and as a result, more heat, and eventually that tire is going to kabloom, explode, destroy everything. So yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Moral of the story. Also, um, be sure you put a little piece of tape over your uh, your check engine light, you know, or, you know, pull the bulb out, whatever you can do. So that said, uh, so the next thing I want to get into is what I was telling you about earlier, which is the Honda S2000 Volkswagen Beetle. Now, this is cool. I actually just saw this this morning on some S2000 threads on uh, Facebook. Uh, I do peruse around those. I have I do have an S2000, but it's probably one of the worst examples of a running S. Well, it doesn't even run now, but it's probably one of the worst examples of one uh, you could find. So uh, don't, don't get your hopes up on that. I have this tendency of buying the cheapest example of whatever cool car I want and then spending more money fixing it than had I just bought a clean one. It hey what what can you do? But anyway, I saw uh, there was a guy. His name's Garrett Dawson, and he body swapped a Volkswagen Beetle onto an S2000 chassis, and, and not a not a motor swap. No, he didn't put the S2K motor in the the Beetle. Um, what he did is he took a 2005 S2000 that was wrecked, looked like it had been rolled over. Uh, the chassis though seemed like it was actually in good shape, so he cut the body off completely, just leaving the floor pan and frame rails, the uh, the way the frame rails in an S2000 work, they call it like an X-bone frame. So it, it's technically a unibody, but it does have distinct rails um, that go through the chassis. So he cut it down to that. So what he's left with is like a floor pan, a frame, uh, all of the suspension bits, coils, wheels, uh, that awesome double wishbone suspension, by the way. I, there, I can't say enough about double wishbone. It's a really cool technology when it comes to suspension. Uh, ideal, of course, for a sports car like the S2000. Now, so he's got that. He's got the transmission and he's got all 9,000 RPM of that Honda F-Series motor. And actually, that's being a 2005. It's probably a F-22. So like what? Like 8,200 RPM. Whatever. It's a high-revving VTEC engine that makes 240 horsepower naturally aspirated. No complaints there. It's a really fun engine to have. And then, so what he did, he takes this floor pan... And he takes a Volkswagen Beetle and cuts the floor pan out of that. And he just, you know, he said that the uh, the wheelbases lined up perfectly. Uh, the wheelbase was almost exactly the same between the Beetle and the S2000. So he literally takes the Beetle, just the body, the shell, drops it on top of the S2000 uh, frame and uh, floor pan. And it, it just all lines up. Now, granted, there's a ton of incredible fabrication uh, he put into this. I was looking at some of the photos of it. The dude put in a crazy amount of work to get that stuff to line up. Some beautiful welding, some nice work. Um, and now he's also uh, finished up some body work on it, too. So from the outside, it just looks like a Volkswagen Beetle, aside from having some suspiciously wider tires on it. Got to fit some wider tires on that because, uh, you know little more power in that chassis. Uh, and then, I mean, you also gain the benefit of having a near 50-50 weight distribution. Like, sure, the bug is no longer rear engine like it originally was, 
but you have a front mid-engine setup. Uh, that's one thing a lot of people aren't aware of of the S2000. It's technically front mid-engine because your, uh, your engine is actually behind, completely behind the uh, front strut towers, 100% behind those. So uh, great weight distribution. Uh, this setup, I don't know what it weighs. It probably weighs a lot less than the S2000 even did because he's cut out a lot of... He removed a lot of S2000 and added just a little bit of bug on it. And uh, so I bet I, I haven't seen any videos yet. He hasn't posted those, but I'm going to be following along with his build. I want to see this thing screaming around, banging off rev limiter and VTEC. Oh, yeah. And it just looks like a bug. I, I don't know. I think that is really cool. I'm going to reach out to him as well here and uh, see if you would like to be a guest on this show. And if I get him, you can look forward to hearing that right here. By the way, of course, the Automotive ADHD podcast presented by Throttle Warrior, wherever those fine podcasts and, of course, this one uh, are uh, downloaded. So there we go. Now, the next topic I want to get into is going to be after the break, but we are going to be talking about gas. Yeah, the, the, the sort of stuff, you know, that you put in your car and uh, why is it getting so expensive and what can we do about it? That's next. Every day, Thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car's suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. are back for the third part of the show that car sound by the way courtesy of devon by the way that vr6 and that volkswagen um just sounds insane oh my god the pops on that my, those might as well be gunshots very very cool setup by the way of course you are listening to the automotive adhd podcast presented by throttle warrior here in the uh, beautiful shadow of Pikes Peak, the weather, again, these past couple weeks has been fantastic. Beautiful call, fall colors, uh, you know, 60 degrees during the day, a little colder at night, but hey, what what can you do? I, I think uh, we're getting closer to that winter, enjoying the last bit of the really proper driving season. Now, that said, uh, if you are driving a lot, if you are enjoying the fall season of driving, you might have noticed that gas is getting more expensive like I, I don't care where you are in the country i could tell you uh here in colorado i've been paying about 420 nice uh a gallon on uh on a, a premium uh, 420 ish uh now uh, low grade or uh just regular is is still I mean, it's still expensive compared to where it was uh granted none of my cars can and run low grade i it's times like this where i kind of wish they could because stuff has been getting expensive and you might have heard in the headlines um eight dollars a gallon in california which is a partially true headline that's not actually reflective on the whole state but i'm gonna get into that in in uh, just a bit now the highest reported average um 
uh, as of August in California, uh, the last numbers from August a couple months ago, 431 a gallon. And I'm going to break down some stats here. We're not going to get too number heavy, but uh, the last highest peak, again, looking at California's numbers, because they're always a good metric of the highest gas prices in uh, the country. And uh, in 2008, June of 2008, Gas peaked at 4.53 a gallon, which seems pretty close to that 4.31 a gallon they saw in August. Uh, but that's not quite true. And I'm going to kind of break this down because uh, adjusted for inflation, that 4.53 a gallon from 2008 is actually uh, 5.77 a gallon today. And not many places are that expensive yet. So, you know, we're still not there yet. Not to mention, though, the bigger problem is that 27% inflation over what, 13 years? Yeah, that's that's a whole nother issue outside of cars entirely. That's uh, that's something different. But, you know, it should be accounted for there when comparing these stats. Now, going on some more numbers, the national average right now for all of the United States, according to AAA, is 338 a gallon with the cheapest gas being in Oklahoma, 301 a gallon. Um, now, that said, that eight dollars a gallon gas station in California. And, and the media has been really running with that. Whoa, $8 a gallon in California. That was one gas station. Most gas stations out there are still asking, you know, like what, 430 or more, maybe even close to 450 uh, for regular, which by the way, is insane. If you are going for the premium, you are going to be starting to pay more than $5 uh, a gallon. And, and good to know all those numbers I just gave you, those are for regular, um, not premium. But that said, uh, that $8 a gallon gas station, for, it was like $7.59 for uh, regular. Uh, that's a single gas station in the small town of Gorda, California. And that's going to be about 140 miles south of San Jose. Uh, and the owners of that gas station cited in their defense that the delivery costs and operational costs of keeping the gas station running there are why that's so high. Which I'm inclined to believe them a little bit. Because the issue is they're also the only gas station for like 40 miles in any direction. Uh, they're in a really kind of rural area between um, San Jose and going down to um, like L.A. Uh, so uh, they are I, I don't they say that I do kind of believe them. But also like if you're the only gas station in town, you end up charging whatever you want because people are going to have to pay for that lest they run out of gas halfway through or something, which I don't know. I think that's kind of dirty. But anyway, so wh why is this happening? Why is this happening with gas? Now, the AAA is uh, AAA is attributing this simply to just supply and demand, which I think is only partially correct. So last year, during the height of the COVID pandemic, um, we saw record lows. I mean, I remember here in Colorado seeing gas uh, for regular as low as like, oh gosh, it was probably like two ten a gallon, if not even uh, dipping beneath the two dollar a gallon mark, which was fantastic, by the way. Uh, I tanked up on all sorts of gas and uh, it filled all my cars up, uh, well, at least the ones <laughs> the ones that ran. I filled up, but uh, that said, uh, you know that, and that was because, and that that is partially a supply and demand thing. There was a lot less demand, a lot less travel, and a huge supply of gas that had been refined and, and manufactured prior to that. Uh, now, this is where it goes deeper than that, though. It does go deeper than just supply and demand, because um, if it was right now, gas prices are skyrocketing. Uh, if that was just because fuel manufacturers weren't keeping up, that, that that's not true at all, because um, we would be seeing that more pronounced across the board. But what's happening is um, it's the actual logistics of moving that fuel from the manufacturer 
to the gas station. Um, it's, it's part of the actual supply chain. So yeah, partially in the supply and demand sort of segment. But the issue is, and we really saw this in what, June and July of this year, uh, you know, headlines in, you know, the South, you know, Alabama and other places like gas stations completely out of gas, no gas sold here, you know, hearkening back to the uh, fuel crisis of the 1970s. Um, and that was caused not by a shortage of the fuel itself, but by a shortage of truck drivers, long haul drivers, you know, going across the country with these big, big fuel tankers distributing the fuel. That's been the issue. And that 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 can kind of be tied into our economy as a whole right now. I mean, there's a massive uh, portion of the public that is not working at all, uh, you know, for various reasons, which I won't get into those politically. Uh, but that said, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people not working. There's a lot of people finding work elsewhere. There's a lot of people quitting jobs because of vaccine mandates and things like that. So that, again, results in more people not working. And that includes truck drivers. Now, we're seeing this, too, in the airline industry, travel industry, delivery industry. But the, the truck drivers specifically are what's affecting um, fuel costs. And that affects us directly as the car enthusiasts who probably consume a little more fuel than the average the average person. I mean, we, you know, car people, you know, we tend to uh, recreationally drive instead of just driving for necessity, just going to work. You know, we might go on drives because that's what we like to do. Now, that said, um, we've also got a number of extenuating political reasons uh, for the higher gas prices on a national level, uh, things regarding to the, the current administration and things like that. There's a lot of things going on that are contributing to that, which I, I won't get into it entirely. But one part of that um, is going to be things that happen politically on the state level. This is one big thing that affects our fuel costs outside of just simply saying supply and demand and even just the logistical issues of, you know, uh, delivering that supply, um, you know, and this this is going to change state to state. And one thing I'm going to use as an example uh, is here in Colorado, we have our, our governor signed a thing called Senate Bill 21-206. Right. Really creative name. Very creative name. But but what that's doing is uh, that is going to be ramping up gas. There's going to be a fee on gas uh, between two to eight cents. It's going to start at two cents and it's going to ramp up over a little bit of time to eight cents a gallon, by the way. And uh, part of this that's a little questionable is that's a fee. That is what they're calling it legally. But that sure as hell sounds a lot like a tax to me. But they, they said, no, no, no. Trust us. It's not a tax, because if it was a tax, it would have to be voted on, clearly. But anyway, but anyway, um, that said, that also includes a uh, a fee of uh, 27 cents uh, on individual deliveries. So Amazon, FedEx, Grubhub, everything. Whenever you order something, there is going to be 27 cents, 27 cents more expensive. Uh, and there's also a 30 cent fee on ride sharing. Again, you know, this is a, this is a fee, not a tax. Now, again, all right. This is a car show. I'm talking a little bit, little bit of politics here, so bear with me. But trust me, this connects to cars, connects to exactly what we do. Now, this uh, bill here, Senate Bill 21-206, um, claims to implement these fees um, for the sake of improving, quote, transportation, which, which sounds nice. But what they're doing with the money, and if you read the bill, uh, which I actually did go look at all the legalese in that bill, what they're doing is... Uh, they're improving mostly like the main streets and some bigger cities like Denver, the capital, um, to include, you know, more sustainable transportation options, which means bike lanes. So they're charging us more on gas to go build more bike lanes, which means we can drive less, which 
All right, whatever. Um, that said, too, it's um, uh, there's another thing where it's going to a rail yard uh, in Denver as well. So, you know, and the, here's the problem. OK, and this is how this ties into everything. Even if you don't live in Colorado, uh, every state is doing something to this this effect. A lot of states are implementing different bills, different fees, different taxes. Uh, and by the way, if you are one of my listeners in uh, Colorado, know just by the way, this doesn't start. This doesn't take effect until um uh it was it june of 2022 so we got a little less than a year until this actually takes effect so but you know again not a thing we were allowed to vote on because it was quote a fee and not a tax which i don't know that's uh not getting political here but i think that people should at least be able to vote on on things like that now what we've got going into this though is every state has some form of this california is no exception you know with having extra fees and taxes on gas and why this is important to the automotive enthusiast you and me is as drivers as consumers we really can't do a lot uh about the supply chain issues and logistical problems we can't do anything about that you know there's supply and demand but honestly there's our hands are tied we can't do much about that but what we can do is keep an eye out for bs bills and stuff that come up in in whatever respective state we live in or you know hey you might not even be listening in the united states but wherever you live i mean keep an eye out for these policy changes um that happen on the local and state government sides of things because you know those directly contribute to your gas price and can contribute a good amount 10 15 even 20 cents because you might have that gas tax um by the state fee quote unquote sure um uh, you might have that contributing to your gas price, but you might also have a city gas tax as well for a certain amount of money. Uh, and then you might also have a county one compounding on top of that. So that's how a 2 cent per gallon fee can very quickly become a 15 or 20 cent, which you notice that a lot more uh, with a bigger tank of gas, you're going to notice 20 cents a gallon difference. Um, now, granted, some taxes and fees exist for, you know, for legitimate reasons. Um, I'm not going to say this one necessarily does or doesn't but it's up to us as car enthusiasts to you know keep an eye out for stuff like this that actually can impact this cool hobby that we enjoy that that is you know cars and you know driving this is what we all love to do and uh you know being involved you don't have to be a politically involved person at all but you know just you know keeping an eye out seeing stuff petitions come up uh petitions come up to ax things like this to get rid of them uh if things come up voting i mean that's one of those things that if you have the opportunity to vote down something that might not benefit you and increases the tax in a way that also doesn't benefit you um and especially when it comes to cars, uh, I think that, you know, it's it's something that that should be done if you want to do that. Now, anyway, I mean, look at how the, the car community got together uh, with the RPM Act, uh, you know, with uh, the, um, uh, you know, the, the government wanting to uh, limit uh, use of race cars on tracks. Like the, the idea with that was, you know, they wanted to ban having. Uh, a race car that was once a street car. So if you bought a car and then converted it to be a race car and were racing it on a track, that would then be illegal, according to the government. Uh, and so, I mean, and, you know, and even though you're not driving the car on a public road, so it's not something that can be officiated by the government in the first place, but they were trying to do that. Nonetheless, the car community got together on this. They started petitions up. They got in touch with uh, local politicians, state politicians, you know, all of the above to to put a stop to that. And, you know, sure, you know, little fuel things uh, relating to gas here and there 
are harder to do. You're not going to get the whole car scene, you know, backing you on a local gas tax. But at the very least, you can get with your buddies. You know, you're going out cruising. You'd be like, hey, guys. So they want to do this gas tax. And I think we should sign this petition that says uh, not to do that and then go vote not to do that. So just uh, my two cents there. Now, that said, we could either we could do that or we could also just start distilling ethanol at home because uh, E85. That's the big win. That is the big win. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to find a way for us to distill our own fuel at home. I mean, look at all the electric car guys, right? They go and they park their car at home and then they just charge it. And then they leave home and their car's got a full tank. What if we could, okay, this is getting a little fanciful here, but what if we could do that with like ethanol? I don't know. I think it's a cool idea. I'll let you know what I find out, but thank you for spending uh, this half hour on the show. You've, uh, it's a half hour. You're not going to be able to get back, but hopefully, hopefully it was worth it. Of course, you can check out the website, throttlewarrior.com. Email your car sounds into matt at throttlewarrior.com and subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe with notifications as well. You can do that on Spotify uh, or wherever fine podcasts. And of course, this one are downloaded. And I will see you next time when I use a fleet of Mini Coopers to steal gold from the Italians. See you then.